0: Hi, everyone. It's Gracie with Self Care with Gracie, and I'm back. I, some of you know that I have been going through a move in these past weeks, and the last podcast I did was at my old place, so this is the first podcast I'm doing from my new house, and it's, I'm looking out over my new backyard, which uh, those of you who read my newsletter know is, is filled with poison ivy, so I'm, I'm really practicing of just how to, how to have self-care within some some challenging transitions and Finding that a sense of humor is is the best way to go about that. Today, I'm very excited to have Max Daniels with us. Um, Hi, Max. Hi, Gracie. Thanks for being here. And Mm. Max is, um, I'm going to read your bio here, Max. So Max has been called the Sensible Life Coach. Her method for ending binging and overeating is just about the fastest, simplest, most dignified and flexible approach out there. Max writes a weekly newsletter of topics of of women, food and habits. A recovered binge eater, she lives in Marblehead, Massachusetts in a very old house built by a pirate. I love your bio. That's great, and I got in touch with Max, or Max got in touch with me actually um, a few months back, and uh, she found me through the Anne Freeman newsletter, and we had a great conversation around what is self care and how do we work this into a, a modern woman's perspective. I started to follow Max's newsletter, and I, I love it. It's just the, the way that you bring very, like you're right, so sensible and so clear on like what, what works and what doesn't and how to really have a sane relationship with food is that reminder that I need every week to just relax and don't go on the diet. So thank you for what you share, Max. I'm excited to have our conversation. <laughs> and would like to start um, by hearing a little bit more about your story of how you got interested in the work that you do and how you started to bring that to other people.
1: Mm, okay. there It's such a, um, there's a lot of parts to that, that answer, but let me just first say congratulations on your move. I'm so thrilled for you. And I've been um, enjoying reading about your little saga and um, I hope for the best on the poison ivy front. Thank you. Know? you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, so how, so how I got interested in I'm so I lost your question. Was it how I got interested in um, helping people with binge eating or self care? Oh, with with, con- with
0: your your work. So what's what's your story? Yeah. How did how did it evolve from you realizing that this was an important issue for yourself, perhaps, and then how did you start bringing that to to the people that you help?
1: Well, you know, actually, to go way, 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 way back to the beginning, I think I have a really similar story to a lot of North Americans, which is that I grew up in a really disrupted food culture. Like um, like if you grow up in Mexico or Italy or France or Japan or Thailand or like a lot of places, like with a really ancient, established, um, you know, gracious food culture life is really different. Like eating takes place in community, you know, it's bound up with family and conviviality. And there are rules that um, people follow that are not like these big heavy handed rules, but they're just like, this is just how we do it. This is how we do it. And um, I didn't grow up in that kind of food culture. I, you know, I <clears throat> come from a Anglo-American family where, um, you know, vegetables were like, kind of like if you saw them, they were kind of boiled and we ate a lot of chili and spaghetti. And um, it, it just wasn't and, – and I'm not, you know, um, this is just life. And, um you know, 20th century America, a lot of convenience foods. And, um, and when I was really young, and this is also very common – um i was told by a lot of my peers that i was fat like i was just too big and it was and i was teased you know horribly oh my god <laughs> you know when i look at pictures of this too a very very common story i look at pictures of me now and i'm like <laughs> you you know maybe my Maybe my waist was like an inch bigger than the girl next to me. Like I I was visibly built a little different, but, you know, fat would have been kind of not the right word. Uh, Bony might have been a different, like more applicable word. But so the confluence of those two things, like, you know, not having a strong um, traditional food culture and getting the message very early that my weight was a problem, sort of primed me for this diet binge cycle. Um, and I was, you know, full-blown binge-eater by the time I hit puberty. Um, so it took me a really long time to pull out of that, partly because I kept dieting. <laughs> and dieting makes everything worse. So when I did find something that worked a little bit... Um, which was intuitive eating. I found the work of Janine Roth, who I just think is so wonderful, just a, just a wonderful human being, very smart, very funny, and really provided the first relief I ever found, and and the um, not only the relief from the horrible habit, but the relief from the terrible, 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 tremendous shame. So, oh gosh, I really kind of owe Janine my life. Um, so that didn't get me all the way where I wanted to be but that was a big, big part of the puzzle and then I also found the work of Sherry Huber who um, is also just a wonderful teacher she doesn't work with eating disorders uh, particularly, she's a a Zen teacher so she works with mindfulness and awareness and um, she... um, She also has a very sort of practical approach. Gosh, this is turning into a long answer. I'm going to wrap this up. Um, She works with the inner critic a lot. That's a big focus of her mindfulness practices. And that was a big piece for me in overcoming shame and
0: breaking habits, destructive habits of eating. I appreciate you sharing all of that, and I I wanted to share that I also found Ginny and Ross when I was in college, and I, I'd, uh, I'd just been studying abroad in Scotland, and I'd spent the whole summer traveling through Italy and Croatia and all these countries with these really strong food cultures, and especially staying with this Italian family for a week, and um, feeling like I, all of a sudden I understood how to eat. And then I came back to college for my last semester and it all fell apart and I started binging and dieting. And I was, I prayed and I don't usually pray at that time, but I, I was like, I need some relief from this. I was like, this was just kind of making me crazy. And I, I was at the library the next week and I found one of Janine Ross books, not looking for it, just like looking for something else. And just, I read all of her books probably in like two months. Mm-hmm. And it it totally changed the way that I started to see what, what my food and food uh, was, you know, why I needed to use food in that way and how I based my self-worth on my body image. And it was, it was like probably one of the most transformational moments of my life to find her work. So I love that you were also influenced by Janine and she, she is, just, I owe her so much too.
1: Yeah, she's the big uh, she's the big one. You know, I think so many people have been helped by her. I I don't I don't know if she's just, just wonderful.
0: Yeah, and I and I think what makes her work so amazing is that she's willing to say everything. And she's willing to mm-hmm. talk about just how low she got and uh, and the binging that she went through and the way it made her feel and the way that people made fun of her. And it, she took the shame away from it just by starting to speak it out loud in that way. Yes. So Oh,
1: gosh, the bravery of that. Like, I might cry. <laughs> she is really something. And then she's just gone on to, I mean, to the way she talks about money. And um, I, I don't know if you've read, um, read the book that she wrote about um, being a victim
0: of Bernie Madoff. Um, but, but it's fantastic. One of the best books on money I've ever read. It's, it's called Lost and Found, right? Yes. Um, yes,
1: I'm blanking on the title right now, but yes, it's a really good book about money.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um, And she really talks about how we use money the same way that we use food in this very compulsive way that we use it to, to build mm-hmm. up our self-worth and then we use it to tear our self-worth down. And well, I'd love to go to something that you said that um, the that diets make everything worse because I think that is really a central tenet of, of Janine's that I've, I've adopted and something I really again need to be reminded of all the time. But can you go into why that is and um, and why? What are some alternatives? Um, yeah, I think uh,
1: the it's it, here's another spot of relief um, for people. <laughs> Like, there's never any good reason to go on a diet. So something that I learned from Janine is that the diet binge cycle always ends with a binge. Like, there is nobody in the history of the world ever that went on a diet and said, now the diet's over and I'm going to eat sensibly. Mm-mm. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way because dieting puts our, our body into freak-out mode. And, um, and when we don't get enough to eat, you know we we will lose control like we just we need enough to eat both in, um in terms of quantity and quality or else our survival mechanisms will take over and and our eating will go out of control so diets necessarily are unsustainable and they're they're created that way uh, there nobody ever intends to go on a diet for their life. They intend to go on for a little while, lose all the weight, and then go off it. Um and that's when obviously the weight starts coming back. And then some. Um, science is pretty clear about this. Like 97% of people who go on a diet gain the weight back and then some within a couple of years. There was a study done by. Um, I, I recommend this book to everybody, called "Secrets from the Eating Lab" by Tracy Mann. Um, she's at the University of Minnesota, I think. Um, she and one of her colleagues, Janet Tomiyama, did a study of. It was like a meta study of all the dieting studies um, that had ever been done, and they had to reject some because they didn't, you know, meet certain like uh, standards of research standards or whatever. But um, you know it was pretty clear every single study showed that diets are not successful, and the and the overall rate of failure is ninety seven percent so um you know even if you keep dieting forever, you get to a point where the weight loss stops, it stalls out, and you start gaining weight again, even if you never eat more so um so they're a really
0: bad idea um <laughs> what was it like for you to go from someone who thought that, that diets were the solution, if only we could make it work, or at least that was the story I would tell myself um, to start to discover a different way? Well, I never really
1: got any success with dieting. Like um, I, I never found a diet that I could stick to. Um, my my hunger always got the best of me and I, I, I'm, I'm not sure this is true, but I kind of think that maybe my personal best was about 72 hours on a diet, maybe. You know, I just never managed it. And um, so so finding Janine's book, and, you know, she has that story about how she um, sets all her diet books on fire and, like, freaks out the neighbors. <laughs> I kind of felt like that too, like, oh man, I can drag all these books out into the street and set them on fire and like dance around them. And um, (laughs) it was like such liberation. It was such liberation. And sadly, I I have to report that um, what followed was not perfect health, but more, um, you know, I think that Janine's method, which is uh, closely aligns with um, the what most people call intuitive eating now, it's really good for a certain kind of person, um, and maybe like yoginis, maybe are that sort of person, somebody that's really very attuned. With their body, or maybe you know, comes from an intact um, traditional food culture, um, and and has a lot of knowledge already about nutrition. I don't even mean in like a scientific way, but just like a kind of a natural, easy kind of way. Um, I didn't I didn't have any of that. So when I tried to tune into what I wanted to eat, you know, I was really <laughs> I was tuning into the wrong frequency. I was. Um, I was not allowing an adult part of me to make those choices. I was allowing kind of more the lizard brain habitual part of me to make those choices. And what it looked like was always, you know, bread and cheese and, you know, chocolate. <laughs> bread, cheese, and chocolate. That was kind of like my trinity. So, <laughs> so I, needed, I just needed more structure, um, uh, so the, the method that I use now with my clients and that, uh, that, and I haven't, I haven't found anything superior to this for people who like gain weight. If they're trying to use an intuitive eating approach, it's just too confusing and too structureless. Um, something in the middle and then there are other people obviously that need more structure and they're happy like going to Overeaters anonymous and using the the gray sheet which is really for me that would be restrictive i would be running through the woods um but so so we all have different needs and i like the method that i use now which i got from janine um sorry jillian jillian riley r-i-l-e-y Her method for eating, um, and I my method uses my approach uses different components from you know different different folks, Um, but her method for eating I think is a really good thing that you can plug right into that space where the binging and dieting and overeating used to be. Like you can break those habits immediately if you have something um, sufficiently structured and efficiently flexible and adaptable to plug in um so so that's what i what i use now it's like a kind of a very lightweight framework it's yeah and i can explain that if you're interested
0: yeah i'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more um i'm, I'm gonna i'm for one moment and just say that like that what you just said felt really like it fit so well into like an ayurvedic framework too and as as you know and as people who listen know yeah. I, I really see the world in terms of Ayurveda and some of us need a lot of structure and we need to keep our like a very set daily routine and some of us actually like too much structure makes us want to rebel against it and we need a little bit more free time and space and sometimes that changes depending on what time of life we're in or what time of year it is and so it, it, it does feel like knowing ourselves and, and understanding what works and doesn't work is is the magic formula instead of there being a one size fits all. So thank mm-hmm. you for, for sharing how maybe intuitive eating might not be the right choice for everybody. Cause I think that that was something I've never heard articulated before.
1: And I think a lot of us develop into an ability to eat more intuitively, but I've learned with my clients that um, like I always had a very strong, um, experience of hunger but I came to find out that what I thought was hunger could be tight pantyhose (laughs) or it could be um it could be digestion it could be sadness it could be so many things I just experienced anything that happened between my teeth any sensation between my teeth and my belly button was hunger that's how I interpreted it and I find this is common with clients like it can take a quite a while to get in touch with fear hunger. And I'm very in touch with that now. Um, and it also doesn't freak me out. But this, this is just super common. People don't, um, they don't know what it, what it is exactly. Um, and when they do get in touch with it, it's kind of scary and freaky. So, um, so the, the Riley method doesn't depend on hunger signals, um, which I just think is so freeing. Um, but you can, but you learn slowly um, over time what your hunger is like and what your satiety is like, and um, through trial and error and sort of patient experimentation with like very low stakes. So, with intuitive eating, you know, I was just always negotiating for my right to eat. With the Riley method, you don't do that. So there's like two. Big, there's a there's a mindset that's a really powerful part of the framework, and we can leave that for later, or people can investigate on their own. But the tools for eating are just super simple, and they are um, what and when. Like at the beginning of every meal, you decide what you're going to eat, and you just don't eat more than that. And there are no other restrictions. You decide what, you don't eat more than that. And at the end of every meal, you decide when you're gonna eat next, and you don't eat sooner than that and Obviously, there are some nuances um like it doesn't you're not weighing you're not measuring, you're not counting, you just kind of like get a mental image um so that you know what you agreed to so that you know where the boundary is, so that you're not like finessing that um, you might say. Uh, you know you don't you might set a clock time or you might set a time like when my kids get home from soccer or whatever um so it's it's very flexible, but it's just just bringing the awareness of everything you eat you know it well it, bringing what you eat into the field of your awareness um, and what's beautiful about it is that um you do this there's like no Monday morning, there's no tomorrow there's no. A New Year's Day, there's, like, the next meal. You're going to make uh, a new set of decisions at the next meal. So you can take this on holiday. You can, you know, take it to restaurants. You can, you know, take it to situations like Thanksgiving. Um, You can use it anywhere, and it's totally invisible. There's, oh, I'm big on dignity. (laughs) (laughs) because I think um, recovered binge eaters or overeaters or recovering or not, like there's so much shame in it. Like we really need our self-respect and our dignity back. Um, And this method gives us that because there's nothing to observe. Like you don't have to talk to anybody about it. There need be no community participation in, you know, your new eating. Um, That is a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: Yeah, it it um it it feels like there's just nothing to rebel against in it either. That like you have a structure, so you're you're feeling like you said like the boundaries are there and feeling safe, and that you are deciding and knowing that like if you're going to go to a party and they're going to have pizza, that you're going to eat that pizza, and so there's no like should I eat the pizza? Should I not? Because for me the anxiety about food can often end to like making food choices that are not intuitive in the moment. Let's call them that. And I kind of exhaust my willpower by not knowing what, what I'm going to do or setting a, a boundary that I don't follow. So I, I think that the inner rebel in all of us is very strong, that when we have an outside structure, it can often will want to rebel against that outside structure, and I see it a lot in my work where I I give recommendations of, like, this is, you know, kind of Ayurvedically, this is how we can go about the day, this is, you know, something you could do when you wake up in the morning, and I really try to frame them as suggestions, and people will be like, I wanted to do that, and then I just didn't do that, and I'm like, oh, it's because I told you. And if you, and then we come up with something that they want to do, they have no problem doing that thing that they want to do first thing in the morning. But I think I think we've been told so often what to do that that a lot of us are very hungry to just come back into a relationship of trust with ourselves. Um, mm. do, do you do you find that that's true at all? The inner rebel does that come out in, with your clients ever?
1: Um, sometimes, and it's really. You know, it's sort of like the, the need for structure and the need for freedom vary. Like people's uh, rebels might be more – some people's are more developed. Um, some people were told no a lot more than other people, I think. Um, I It's – there's – there's a part of us that, you know, we can be at war with ourselves. There's a part of us that wants to do exactly what, like, you and I would be, you know, if you were my coach, I would probably be agreeing with you about what might be a good course of action in my adult brain. And even so, I, I might have part of me, a rebellious um, younger part that, that is in conflict with that.
0: <laughs> and making room for all of those parts feels like such such the um, the battle and also the victory, I think, in actually making sustainable change of like, how do we, how do we satisfy the adult part of us that is totally rational and the, and the more childlike part of us that's very emotional and wants to be seen and heard. Yeah. How,
1: yeah. I think seeing and hearing that part, um, that doesn't need to involve giving it cupcakes, right? Like the adult person gets to be in charge of the diet and um, the younger part can um, get other kinds of attention. Mm.
0: And it, it 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 that makes me think about the, like, reparenting process that I think can happen when we start to take control over our own self-care. And yeah. We, yeah, that we can recognize that it's okay to want things. And um, I remember going through this experience a couple years ago where I got ice cream for myself, and I started to eat it, and I was like, I don't actually want this. Um, I, I thought I wanted it. I wanted I wanted the fantasy of what I thought it could bring me, and then I realized that my body didn't mm. want it in the moment. And I got really sad because I was, I was like, if it's not ice cream, what is it? <laughs> and I realized yeah. that, like taking away the fantasy of that this food is going to be the thing that that makes us feel comforted or taking away the fantasy of what it's going to be like to be thin and how it's going to make all of our problems go away, right? How mm-hmm. how much of a process that we have to go through in that and just kind of making space for for our lives to be imperfect, even, even as we feel like we are in control and making good choices with our food and our self-care. Yeah, and I think, um,
1: well, there's so much in that comfort piece. You know, um, Tracy Mann did some really interesting research around that in which she found that actually um, we don't get comfort from what we feel like our comfort foods are. Um, it's, it's a pretty interesting research um, and, and she found that it actually doesn't soothe their feelings like it is comforting to eat your favorite foods when you're hungry but if you're really sad food doesn't do anything to to help with those emotions at all um, and then I lost the other piece sorry <laughs>
0: that's okay but it's I think that's a really big one for us all to see and and you know if you're listening out there and food isn't your thing necessarily it's not your like numbing device of choice like it could be like that person that you want to call you back or the glass of wine or whatever it is that kind of feels like it's going to just take the edge off but it, it it's true that I think after a while especially we have to look at what's underneath the surface and, um, and learn to comfort our self in other ways, which is I always think the distinction between self care, like I think we do a lot of things that feel like self care and they're actually more like numbing things. And then, but I think real self care, my my definition of real self care is that you have to feel good about it the next day. And it has Mm -hmm. to, has to give you more energy than it takes away. And that, that's still a hard one for me to get sometimes because I really think it's just going to be the chocolate chip cookie. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh, there's nothing wrong with chocolate chip cookies, but yeah, they don't really fit my definition of self care either
0: yeah. <laughs> um, what What kind of changes do you notice in your clients after they've found a, a method of of eating that feels healthy and sane for them? Like do you notice changes that happen in other parts of their life too?
1: Oh, that is such a good question. Here's one that often comes up they start building better boundaries. So um, when they can start saying no to like their their inner child, if you want to call it that, or to the, the part of them that wants food or um, to saying no to this habit, um, they start being able to say no in other areas of their life. And, Sometimes that starts in the area of food. So, like, a lot of us um, come from families where if food is love, like um, refusing food is, um, you know, discontent, disrespect, or, you know, a a disaffection, right? So if you don't eat mm, mommy's chili, then she's going to feel like you don't love her. So you need to eat a lot to show that you love her. Um, and, and people can just start saying no to that in a really um, sophisticated, gracious, no drama kind of way where it used to be like the most drama-filled thing. Um, so that's one change. Uh, another is that the the drive to be thin kind of disappears and is replaced with self-respect Um, although people generally do if they um, if they start working with me and they they are really overweight or their body is carrying more weight than it really wants to and they break this habit of overeating like it's pretty hard not to lose some weight so that usually happens Um, and it's usually slower than we hope for but it it does come but At the same time, as you practice this new way of eating and as you break the habit of compulsion, um, like you just start feeling so much better in so many areas of your life. And, you know, when the obsession disappears, gosh, you just have like so much energy to do other things, um, to, to, you know, pour energy into things that love you back like um, creative work and relationships and children and family and um, cultivating new realms of knowledge and skills and, um, you know, in a way that chocolate chip cookies really can't provide.
0: And and as you say that, it it makes me think that that chocolate chip cookies, like maybe in, for a time in our life, they've kept us kind of safe because we don't have mm. to go into all of these intimate, creative, vulnerable pursuits. But it sounds like it gives people the boundaries that they need to really explore who they are as people.
1: Yeah, it can do that. I mean, sometimes what happens is we just break a habit. and I, I always think if if that's all you get, is, like, the end of compulsion, that would be a pretty good result.
0: <laughs> but it's not. Yes. It's not all we get. <laughs> do you do you work with men and women, or is it predominantly women?
1: It's mostly women. Um, it's mostly, like, middle-aged women, in fact. I mean... There's been I, I've worked with some men and some young people, but it's mostly women my age, and I, that's probably um, you know the women that are ready to let go of the idea that thinness is paramount, um, and and maybe the culture is ready a little
0: bit to let them off the hook on that too a little bit a little a little bit I I do see some some inroads that we are making and my generation Mm -hmm. but almost like the the generation that's like coming up to mine, of just like being able to watch a show like girls and see like different body types that it's not even like a thing it's just like this is what different body types look like and I like growing up I I don't think there were many shows like that it was like there was like Roseanne but that was like they were fat, you know, that you saw different body types, but it was, it was stereotyped in one way. And almost like that was the whole bit. And, and I think about my mother's generation and just how much food was, you know, so controlled and again, no food culture, but how much body image was everything. Just how many, how there weren't really examples around that either. And how I'm hoping that this just gets easier with the generations too.
1: I hope so too but you know it seems to me that Hannah's body was really a
0: thing don't you think yeah yeah I I I think it yeah I think you're right and I think it's it just how like unapologetically she was letting it be a thing it felt like oh, a step so in, great yeah and I was you know there are moments I love girls and there's moments I, I don't love girls um uh-huh. But <laughs> oh, yeah. I do think I think that do you think that Lena Dunham is is an artist in a lot of ways, and that she's just pushing cultural like boundaries and making us look at different things. So it's it, oh, something done of, a lot. <sighs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, I I think we're moving in that direction. But like, how do you how do you see this conversation culturally in terms of like you're saying that you you grew up without a food culture, and with this idea that Women's bodies had to be a certain way like when you when you think about it in the big picture, like do you think that we're we're developing some of those skills, or do you think we're still pretty scattered as a culture?
1: Um, I think the conversation is developing for sure, and I'm really happy about that. I, I think um, I think women's uh, I don't know i I guess I'm not super optimistic about the speed and uh, comprehensiveness of the change that I wish would come over us. Um, and at the same time, I, I really see the conversation everywhere in a way that it was not happening. Like the conversation when I was growing up was like, no fat chicks. Mm, that was the conversation. Um, uh, until Susie Orbach, you know, and um, now now everybody is talking, um, and it's still there's a still we're all still drinking and breathing a lot of poison, but I'm very yeah, so I'm not hopeful in terms of speed, but I am hopeful in terms of end result it's it's changing.
0: Mm-hmm. And the awareness is waking up. Um, yeah. At least in, at least in the circles that I I follow, it's it feels like yeah, it's it's there. Um, well, I always I always like to ask in these interviews what what self care means to you. So I I think it's something that we talk about a lot, and 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 I find that the answers are really different for every person. So I'm very curious to hear yours, Max.
1: Well, you said earlier, um, you used the word reparenting and you know what, Gracie, like that is a really new word to me. I don't know when and where I first heard it, but I want to say like maybe within the last 60 days or something and suddenly I'm like, that's it. That's the right word. Um, So I think self-care is... Um, it's reparenting in the sense of growing up um, in a way that some of us were kind of got um, arrested a little bit, um, maybe many of us. Um, definitely me, let's say that. Um, it's learning how to care for myself in um, a measured kind of sane, aware way that's not indulgent and it's not restrictive, and it's not punitive. And like you were saying, it has to feel good the next day. I like the um, like the Buddhist phrase, good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end. Like it, it has to feel good um, while I'm doing it too. Like it can't be um, something that's punishing while I'm doing it that's going to lead to a good result. That also doesn't qualify. But Ultimately, I sort of think about it as, um, as an attitude. Like for me, self-care comes down to just staying on my own side and not abandoning myself, not abandoning myself. And um, that's the, I think that's the essential job of the, the parent, like to be by your side, to be on your side, to, um, to not abandon
0: Mm -hmm. to really like to really be there for yourself yeah yeah
1: beautiful even yeah even when even when it's not a comfort even if like comfort isn't you know through through ups and downs and through whatever no matter what even if you can't comfort yourself because comfort isn't possible in the situation still um to be there yeah
0: yeah. And, and I, I think we all have these moments, or I actually, I'm not going to even generalize it. I am just going to say. I have these moments where I feel like my sense of self is just every, every like couple of years I'll get into a situation where my sense of self is really challenged or I'm not feeling like a sense of belonging in a community or feeling like I'm just being very directly challenged in a way that mm-hmm. is extremely vulnerable. And, and it's really in those moments that I have, it takes me a while it's not like an immediate thing it's usually over the course of a few days or weeks or months where i have to just get so clear that um even if i'm the only person who likes myself that that could be enough in that mm-hmm. moment and oh, and yeah. it's, it's those moments of really cho- yeah like you said just staying with myself and choosing myself that i think have have become like the true building blocks of my self esteem and so it helped me to see even though those moments are so painful to go through that, like, going through them and sticking with myself through the whole thing is, is really what builds self-esteem from this, like, a, a much deeper place than it had been built before.
1: Yes. 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 That was beautiful.
0: <sighs> I can't wait to listen
1: to that again. That
0: was so beautiful oh uh, thanks yeah we we deserve to be here we deserve to make mistakes and exist that's I mean that is always my mm-hmm. ultimate lesson of self-care is that I'm allowed to make mistakes and that we all are if I'm allowed to make mistakes everyone's allowed to make a mistake and uh well we just keep working on it um Max I'm sure many people out there want to know more about you and again I highly recommend getting on Max's newslet- weekly newsletter it comes out on Wednesdays no excuse me, Tuesdays. Right. Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Yep. Could Could you tell um, people a little bit more about how to get in touch with you? I'll put some information on the show notes too, so you can you can go on there. But also, anything that people prospective people who want to work with you should know.
1: Um, yes, I'll give you a link to um, to sign up for the newsletter that you can put in the show notes. Um, they can also go to maxdaniels.com um, and subscribe there. Um, and let's see, they can. Like me on – not not like me. We can be friends. We can be friends on Facebook. Come and be friends. And um, uh, I have a group program. I'm only doing one-on-one coaching right now, but um, I often do smaller group things. But I'm going to do a longer, more comprehensive group program starting in September. So if you get on the newsletter, you will find out about that. And I'd really like to, it'll be just exactly what I do with one-on-one clients, only with a few more people and much more affordable. So I think that'll be, that'll be, um, that'll be a good alternative for a lot of people. And I'm really excited about that. Mm, that Sounds
0: great. Oh, well, Thank you so much for being with us and sharing your knowledge and, you know, given, given some different models for, for how to eat in, in a way that um, is that like reparenting and staying with yourself. So I'm going to think a lot about some of the things that came up in this conversation and um just really grateful for you. So thanks for being with us, Max. Thank you. I'm so glad we found each other and so glad to be connected and, um, and let's talk again. Yes, I would love that. I love that. And for everyone who's listening out there, you know, if if food is your thing, like meaning that you if you don't feel like you have a sane relationship with food, I, I hope something you get from this conversation is that you deserve one, and that there mm-hmm. um, there isn't a one size fits all model, and that um, working with somebody like Max to help you figure that out is is a really great investment because we we do eat every single day, ideally. And, um, and that there's a lot under the surface of this issue. So it's, I, I think something that's been important for me is just realizing it's not a willpower based issue, that there's, it's, it's nuanced and it's complicated and, and having some simple ways to break it all down is, is powerful. If you, um, a good first step to this would be checking out Janine Roth. I, I love her book, When Food is Love, and um, her guide to compulsive eating are both really wonderful books, but any of them, you really can't go wrong. So thanks Great. for listening. And oh yeah, did you have a favorite Janine Broth book that you wanted to recommend? I love her
1: little uh little square hardback go- book called um, When You Eat at the Refrigerator, pull up a chair. I just love that book. <laughs>
0: that was the one that I found at the library actually. That was the uh-huh. I, I pulled it out and they're just little little things of being asked about food and eating and I just kept reading them and I was like, I'm checking this book out. But yes. It's, it's a great gateway drug into and Ross. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. To Taking care of yourself. And I'll look forward to connecting soon. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Gracie with Beautiful Life Self-Care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. I hope you learned something new. If you want to connect more, then visit me at selfcarewithgracie.com. There you can sign up for my weekly newsletter where on Wednesday afternoons, I'll send you more self-care practices more inspiration, and more opportunity to connect to a community of people who really care about really good self-care. Also, write me if you have any other questions or if you have ideas for future shows. My email address is selfcarewithgracie@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks a lot. And remember, keep putting yourself first and everything else will fall into place.